good to have uh, Baldy Boyd in our service tonight. Baldy was a he and Glow a member here for a long, long, long time. He's uh, moved out now into the Oklahoma area. But Baldy was the life of the lost director for Peninsula, Florida, and uh, engaged and assisted so that Peninsula, Florida uh, had their first uh, annual over a million dollars in life of the lost giving out of the churches here in Peninsula, Florida. So, Baldy, God bless you. It's good to see you tonight. Thank you so much. Give our online audience a great play, uh, hand. Would you do that? We appreciate them. <clears throat> Big surprise. There, there are a lot of questions uh, that people have they don't have answers to. Uh, my son, Tim, you know him. Uh, most of you know him pretty well. But he was the most inquisitive kid that uh, I'd ever come in contact with. Tim would ask question after question after question. And I mean, you give him an answer and then he'd ask another question. And I commented to Sharon numerous times. I said, boy, he's just got a whole lot of questions. Now, he hasn't changed much. He still has a lot of questions. But the bottom line is now he knows some of the answers, which really makes it nice to be able to ask questions and happen to have an answer too. There are many questions that we don't have answers to. I've heard people say, well, buddy, when I get to heaven, that's one of the things I'm going to ask God about. You know, maybe I've said that from time to time. But I've found out that the things that I'm concerned about here in the natural, in this world, I won't have the least bit of concern about when I get in the presence of God. Why? Because I won't have any problems. I won't have any anxiety I won't have anything to ask questions about. It'll be peace and joy in the presence of the Lord, praise and worship forever and ever and ever. But some of those questions that we might think are really, really important, time lapses a little bit. And when time lapses a little bit, we find out, you know, well, there is no sense of urgency anymore. So, you know, I don't, I hadn't even thought of that question in a long, long, long time. As it relates to spirituality, as it relates to Christianity, there is an urgency building that you can feel if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that urgency has to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. People have said, how long, God, can you not come? How long before you're going to split the east? How long is it? before the rapture takes place, God. How much more can you put up with? Well, if you dig deep in the Scripture, and particularly out of that Old Testament, you see some of the things that individuals who were haters of the Jews, haters of what we know today we would call Christianity, and the things that they did, it looks like some of the things that we face today is nothing more than a Sunday school picnic. Well, someone asked the other day, well, when do you think I'll meet Jesus? I said, I don't know when you're going to meet Jesus, but you keep driving the way you're driving and probably won't be long. Well, what's going to happen to me when I die? I said, well, you're going you're gonna to face judgment. Judgment is in everyone's path, believers or non-believers. We understand that. And we know that judgment for a non-believer, can you imagine the heartache of individuals in the culture in which we live, in the, in the United States, as many opportunities as people have to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
to hear the Word of God, to turn on the radio, to pick up a Bible, to listen on television, the massive amount of times that they had an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. And then if their life ends just like that, or the rapture takes place and they stand before God, what excuse do they have? And here's what, this is what Jesus will say according to the Word of God. Listen, depart from me. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, that must break the heart of a God who's the creator of every person on this planet now and forevermore. Created us for a purpose, and that is to honor and, in fact, to serve him. But because that person was not willing to humble themselves and embrace the relationship with Jesus and have their sins forgiven by him, it's depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I'm sure you can think of someone right now that maybe you've been praying about that really concerns you and you think, God, I, 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 don't, I want them to go to heaven. But if they don't change their ways from what I observe as, as a fruit inspector, if they don't change their ways, they, they're not going to make heaven. We, we shake and tremble to the fact if someone we knew and loved died, God, I hope, I wonder if they went to heaven. And the reality is this. Most of the time, if you are close to that individual and you don't know that God intervened in their life, because when God intervenes, redemption means change. And you don't see a change in their life, the probability of them going to heaven is minuscule. We know, however, for the believer, that's most of us in this room, when we die, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be judged by what we did, by our works, by our, well, I, I like to think by our church attendance and by our Bible reading and by the times that we witnessed, by the times that we kept our mouth shut when we could just open it really wide, by the times that we were nice and we could have been angry, by the times that we served good fruit, by the times that we went out of our way to do something that in the natural may not benefit us, but we did it because we thought, that touches the life of someone else, and I know moves the heart of God. We know that in the final days of Jesus' life and his ministry, that was a big question that the disciples had. He, of course, informed them that he's about to depart, and you know they have worked closely with him, and that's the big question. Well, what, what about us? We, we have a close-knit relationship here. Well, what's going to happen if you leave what is, what is going to happen? And so God gives them good instruction. He says, I'm not going to leave and I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to remember you, but there will be a time when we will be reunited. The disciples could not understand that. We know about his resurrection. We know about his appearance to hundreds of individuals. We see that. We read it in the Gospels, but they didn't have a clue. Imagine that, being told, I'm going to leave. And the reality is, he's going to appear to them again. They never thought that in a million years. But when he did, even some, his name is Thomas, doubted whether or not 
it was really him. And what did Jesus do? He said, go ahead, Thomas, touch me. Now, we ride on the urgency. We know that the Bible says Jesus is coming again. It's called the rapture of the church. If you believe that, say amen. Here we go. These moments, through our time together, Jesus is going to answer the disciples. He's going to use some parables, and he's going to help help us. Now, what is the purpose of this message? We can become rigid and routine. We can become so used to the usual that we forget that we could meet Jesus before your next breath. I got a call from an individual out of North Carolina, a very uh, well-respected lawyer there that has uh, argued cases before the Supreme Court, and he called me for, for something that he thought I might be able to help him with, and he called the name of another friend that, that we knew, a mutual friend that we have, was a former senator of New York, and he said, uh, you remember Oscar, don't you? I said, sure I do. I know the senator. He said, you know, he died a couple years ago. I said, really? He said, he sure did. What in the world happened to him? Here's a man that owned one of the largest auditing firms in the state of North Carolina, had served in government, was a godly person, upright person. He said, well, you know, probably three years ago, he he had a heart attack. And after that, he was really paying attention to, you know, what he had and got more into exercise. And on Saturday morning, he uh, had an event that night he was going to, and he thought, I'm going to go out and, and do a little walk. And he said he went out for a walk, and he was almost back up to his house and took a step and fell dead. His wife saw that, ran out, no pulse whatsoever. It was that moment he died. Now, when that happens, it's too late. When breath is gone, it's too late. Well, how do I live, Lord? I live as if Jesus could come at any moment. Amen? Amen. See, that's how I live. No, it's not. If we believed Jesus were going to come in just a moment, you know where we would be? Trying to reach those people that we know and love and appeal to them and say, listen, I'm here because by the time 735 rolls around, Jesus is going to come. I want you to get right with God. You'd be on the phone, working the phones with everything that you have. So how how shall we behave? We behave in a way that we say, okay, I just never want to get filled with apathy. I want to remember, I wanted to be a driving force. I wanted to be a motivating force for me to stay focused on what I need to do. I think it was Orlando today. I read an article where a church was a hundred and something years of age and seated 400 people. And it's a landmark in that area. And it showed a picture of the church, and it says, but the church had gone down to about 25 or 30, if I remember the article, and finally they just closed the church down. All these years, a hundred plus years old facility, and finally went, seated 400, had a bright future, and then went down to where there's hardly anyone left, and the people of the church said, let's just close the doors. 
Are there less people going to hell now than a hundred and something years ago? No. Are there more people in our society living and breathing today than there were over a hundred years ago when that church was built? I promise you. But what happens is this. We forget that Jesus could come at any moment. And here's what happened to the disciples waiting on Jesus to pray. They went to sleep. They went to sleep. I heard a major lawyer in this town talking about issues as it relates to step up for students. That's the help that, for example, the majority of our students at, at Victory Christian Academy get. It is funded, of course, by some independent businesses, major banks, and things like that, and it's scholarships that are given in addition to some uh, funds, uh, and gives them an opportunity to be able to go to a Christian school. But, of course, we know that the gay and lesbian movement decided that they couldn't get legislation through to block that. So they went to those major banks and those major institutions, and they said, hey, we want you to know those Christian schools will not welcome those individuals into their schools and threaten them. And you know what? One bank pulled out $8 million, another one pulled out $12 million, another institution pulled out $10 million, which stopped some 8,000 students from being able to get a Christian education. And the lawyer said this, Pastor Blackburn, if America doesn't wake up, the enemy will put us into a somber position and steal everything that we believe as valuable. Think about that with me. Wow, so what does he say? The time, nobody knows. Okay, Mark 13, 32, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. Get this now, not the Son, but only the Father. When Sharon and I pastored in Arcadia, we lived, uh, we lived on uh, a highway right beside US 17. And uh, being young people and being in a community that we went, of course, from Winter Haven and then went to Bradenton, and they had daily newspapers. We went down to DeSoto County. One of the great shocks was they had weekly newspapers. I won't ever forget it. Walked in to the little shop and go store. I like today's paper. They said, sir, if you'll just wait a couple of hours, this week's newspaper will be in. I said, what do you mean this week's newspaper? Said, well, you know, we only get paper once a week. I said, I, I cannot. I believe that. I thought, I think I'll go get me some McDonald French fries and a hamburger. I rode through the community. I stopped, pulled a cop over, which is unusual. I said, tell me where the McDonald's is, sir. We don't have a McDonald's here. I said, Lord, I think I've gone to hell and back. No newspaper. We would stand because we didn't have family that lived there. And we didn't know anyone. When family was coming, and they would call and say, we're coming down to see you. It would be on a Saturday. From Winter Haven, Lakeland to Arcadia, is, I don't know, according to how you drive, hour, hour and 15 minutes. And I'll never forget that Sharon and I, without telling each other, 
We'd stand, we had this big window in the front of the house that went from the top down to the floor, and we'd stand there and look and watch because we could see the highway. And we'd say, boy, it's about time. They ought to be here any minute now. I did that in my very first church. I even do it today. I'll stand in the window in my office there and look and say, God, who's coming in today? How are we doing? Oh, yeah, they're so-and-so. I know their car, you know. Unbelievable. We anxiously anticipated my parents, her parents, and other relatives to come and say they're coming to see us. Because when they came in, we weren't alone anymore. We actually had company. Often in life, we try to figure out the questions that, or the circumstances that we have. And we're curious people. How many of you have a curious spirit? May I see your hand? Get this now. How many of you, if there was a time in your life, if you saw wet paint, you just had to reach out and touch it to see if it really was wet? Anyone out there? There was a time in my life. There was a time in my life. I just had to reach out and touch it. And then I learned you don't touch it where everybody can see it. You touch it underneath where nobody can see where you left your fingerprint. I'm almost wor- I've almost worked out of that. How many of you can see a nice cake, beautiful cake, and you have the urge to say, I'm going to try that icing. Anybody out there? I'm raising my hand. Sharon thinks she can hide the cake. And I've learned really well how to cover it up. A curious spirit. That curious spirit often doesn't translate to being curious about when Jesus is coming. It really isn't on our mind as a culture. It's really not important. I wonder when he's he's going to come and yet... We know that question, my friend, is that he could come at any moment that no man knows when the Son of Man is going to return. The return is an event that historically united the, the bride with the groom. He deals with that and he uses that illustration. You see, the groom would approach the bride at a chosen time. The bride in biblical days, she never knew when he was going to come. She just knew to be ready. And that groom, of course, would have his best man. They wouldn't send a signal. And, of course, there were the bridesmaids and the bride that was there. And and she's ready. They don't know when he's coming, but they know we need to be ready. And so that at that moment, we know that as she was ready, there was a sense, there was a sense of urgency there. You ever hear the bride say, oh, you can't see the bride before the wedding. You shouldn't see. Anybody remember saying that? That came right out of the Bible. And we know it was a, a special surprise. And boy, I, I've seen many a man light up. In weddings today and in days gone by when that door opens in the chapel or wherever we would be having it and all of a sudden she walked out in that aisle with her dad or whoever happened to be taking her down the aisle and you see you see that young man light up he looks and thinks that is the most beautiful looking woman I have ever laid eyes on how many of you still feel that way about your bride may I see your hand I see that that hand that's the highest I've seen it in a long time it's way up there 
that anxious anticipation, you ask yourself the question this, what would be the lifestyle of the believer, that's us, if we knew exactly when Jesus would return? What do you think? Oh, life for the lost. Why do I need to go to that? Jesus is not coming until six months from now. Why do I need to be engaged in evangelism and building the church? I mean, he's not coming for another two years. You see, human nature would drop to the lowest level of commitment. It would not exercise the discipline of faithful commitment in our lives because Jesus said no man knows when he's going to come. Why? Man's nature couldn't handle it. Oh, my Lord, how mercy. He's coming in six months. I can't take it anymore. True love could not be enjoyed. Not only that, but focusing upon the time would be the greatest focus rather than focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the need for true commitment. For if I don't know when he's going to come, and I believe that he's coming, I want to live my life as if it could be now. Here's the second thing I think sometimes we get forget. Stay on your toes. Say that with me. Stay on your toes. Stay on your toes. Mark 13, be on guard, be alert. You don't know when the time will come. Be alert and be on guard, all right? Jesus shared with them the need to be on guard and alert and watch. And he used this illustration to them. This is what he said. He said, a man is going on a long journey and uh, he, he's leaving a servant in charge and work assignments have been given. And he asked one of the servants, he says, I want you to be certain that everything is done like I've asked for it to be done. Jesus told them, be alert. His purpose with them to embrace the task of what we know today, the Great Commission. That's a part of light for the lost. It is the Great Commission. That's why we give million, a million point six or seven to missions. It is the Great Commission commission that's why we have the dream center it is the great commission that's why we say just one more soul to know christ and make him know we believe in the great commission and if we forget the great commission we're just enjoying the benefits of saying that we are christian but we're not doing the work that god has assigned the church to do Jesus' return is not known, and he said, keep your focus on what you're called to do. Well, is there ever a time that God gives up us permission to take our eyes off the harvest, to take our eyes off total commitment? Is there ever a time that he says, okay, you get to idle? Is there ever a time he says, you throttle back? Is there ever a time that we have permission from the Savior with so many people at stake in their lives to say, God, I can't stay as focused as I once was. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know what he just said? Stay with it. Stay focused. Stay upon the task. Don't wait on someone else to prod you. It's you and God. The call and your purpose is, in fact, you and God. Why stay so focused? Why? It's the work of redemption. It's not finished. Not only that, your efforts may change eternity for someone else. Someone else who's not in love with Jesus and doesn't know Jesus, but because of you. The return means judgment will be upon those that are not prepared. And there are many who know the gospel. I know many who can quote Scripture, but they never humble themselves to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The return means the call of accountability for all the believers that we come to church together. We're accountable to one another. That's why Victory Church exists. That's why we work so hard and encourage people to the degree some people get a little upset, Pastor. You call on us too much. Listen, Jesus Christ is coming, and I want to be certain that we don't miss the mark that we reach one more soul for Jesus Christ. And we keep beating the drum and 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 beating the drum until that trumpet sounds and we say, well done. Somebody say, amen. That's the power of the commitment. Why? When Jesus left, he gifted us the privilege of continuing his work and ministry. The bride happens to be those of us in this room. The bride is the church. The church, that's who we are. To work like a bride preparing for her wedding covering every detail. Some people say, boy, they got engaged and they announced they're going to get married 12 months from now. I don't know that they can get everything done in 12 months. I have a word. Elope. I'm not saying that's what you ought to do. But there's all the details that have to be accomplished to prepare for that wedding. Every detail, the positive resolve, the intense focus, the high expectation that's there, the great excitement and enthusiasm. Why? Because once that engagement, the groom could come at any moment. I was in the doctor today checking out some deals on my skin, and they were check, checking it uh, over. And uh, at any rate, the little girl that was there, she, she, had, she had been engaged. Her ring was real shiny, and she had it. And I, says, I, wa- I said, wait a minute. What? What can I do for you, Pastor? Let me see that left hand. I said, he's broke. You'll never own a home. You'll never be able to support children. You have it on your finger. Every time I do that, you know what their reply is? Most of the time, they do yard talk. He did good, didn't he? Amen? 
He did good. There's all those details. Finally, rest another day. Rest another day. Mark 13, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you at the mall. What does it say? Sleeping. Seems like there are a lot of times in Scripture that Jesus refers to people that's sleeping. How is it that you couldn't just stay awake for one hour? Now, sleeping may not necessarily render you immovable. I was in my chair the other night, must have been 9 o'clock, 9.30, and I, I get there and I thought, wow, how many of you are dog-tired when you get home? I'm dog-tired, I'm cow-tired, I'm zebra-tired, I am snake-tired, whatever, I am tired. And Sharon said, look what I got. What? And she showed me a picture of me in my chair, my one and only piece of furniture in the whole house. And she said, look at you. She took a side shot of me sleeping. She said, look at you. Look at your mouth gaping open. I thought, well, Sharon, what did you expect? You expect me to sleep with a smile? You know, is that, is that what you want? Yeah, but just look at you. Sleeping has its own connotation. Now, let me, let me suggest to you, we know that you don't get a lot of rest on the day of your wedding. How many of you are married? May I see your hand? You're married. How many are happily married? That's right. One more hand went up. <laughs> Jesus sharing with his disciples, this is what he says. Hey, guys, be ready anytime. Work hard, stay on task, let nothing distract you so that you may accomplish your assignment. Now, can you hear God when we give our heart to Jesus? Can you hear him say that to you? Can you hear him say that to you about your small group? About rangers involvement, about missionettes, about missions, about ushering, about working in the, can you hear him say, don't let anything shake you from that responsibility that you're doing to build the church. And he says, there's only one, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and on. Uh, don't you know that, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. He says, suit up. Everybody runs their own race. Suit up and run your race. Run your race. Run your race. You see, many times in ministry and growing up in ministry, I grew up in ministry. I learned the art that one of the great testimonies is to stick it out in whatever task that you're doing until the end. If you have the task, stay with it. I had many individuals that say, well, everybody else is leaving. Amen. Everybody else is checking out. And when that happens, it almost makes all of us want to have the same deal. Well, if everybody else is leaving, I think I'm going to leave. 
But you know what? We only have one judge. What's his name? Jesus. We only have one purpose. It's his purpose in our life. And when he assigns us, after he gives us the privilege of redemption, which is a gift, he's saying, I don't want you to go to sleep with that. Don't, don't let me catch you. Don't let me catch you sleeping. This is a different form that encourages us to stay focused. Keep, keep, keep busy in what you need to do. And then Jesus shifts a little bit and he says, hey, you keep yourself worthy of the favor and blessing of God. And we have the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins illustrating the part and say, hey, you be prepared. Five, there were five wise and five what? Foolish. And it illustrates the part about being ready personally for he says the five foolish were not ready when the midnight cry rang out their lamps, their spiritual commitment was empty, and they were deficient, so that when the groom came, they were left behind. They were left behind. May we remember that we have two things that we need to focus. One is the work of the ministry. That's the Great Commission. That wherever it is that God has placed us, we do it. And here's the second one, and the more important of the two, is to create our own private and personal devotion to God. Amen. That when we feel ourselves ready to check out, and we feel ourselves not willing to stay committed, and we feel ourselves just so tired and weary that we hear the proverbial, I'm going to throw the towel in. And when we hear other people doing what they do and, and they're throwing that, but listen, here's what he says. You, you pay attention to what God's word is for you. Amen. And you build yourself, you build yourself up in the faith. And here's what I know. God will, God will bless you. And here's what else I know. He will bless your family. Amen. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, thank you for the moments that we've had together. Now I pray that you would, uh, you would speak to all of us, Lord. We, we want your word to be in our hearts. We, we, we know there are many, many things that the devil does that we need to be alert and, and be aware and he sneaks up on us or use some difficulty or it could be an angel of light, God. We can get busy doing the good but it's not necessarily the best. And so, Father, I thank you today that, that we have a wonderful church and a great group of people here tonight and many who are listening online that we've heard this message for. We know that you could come at any moment, and we are supposed to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come soon. We don't know the day, nor the hour, nor the moment. Come soon, Jesus. Well, if we pray that prayer, we want to be certain. We want to be certain that when you do come, that we are ready and we are busy. And we're not cold and we're not lukewarm. And we're not indifferent and we're not tired. We're excited about 
seeing Jesus face to face. Help us tonight. Just in case there's some of you may be here, some might be listening online. And you know for sure and for certain that you're a bit cold and a little bit indifferent, become a little bitter. Well, I want you to know God can touch you. He can touch you. He is able to touch you. And so we know that God will lift you up. I spoke to a family last night. I haven't seen at church in several years. Where are you all going to church? Nowhere. Bedside assembly. Are you telling me? Are you telling me that for years and years and years I would look up and see you and now you don't go to church anywhere? I know, Pastor. We ought to be going. And I prayed in my spirit, God, another time the devil has lied and someone has believed a lie. I pray God will help us. Would you repeat this prayer, everybody here and online? Would you do that? Here we go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Renew a right spirit in my life. Let me deny myself and let me do your will. Let me be compliant to what you have me do. Let me be purpose-driven according to your divine will. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God's good, isn't he? Amen. Here's what I know. I was praying over this. If you, if you need prayer in your body, I heard an old guy today, some others, a bunch of old men gathering around. I don't know what old men, how old they were, but probably a whole lot older than I am, I can tell you that. They look weary. Somebody said, what are you doing with your arm, Fred? He said, well, you know, my arm, my shoulder is giving me a problem. He said, that thing is just, man, they can't even get it right. I don't know what's the problem with it. He said, I don't know about giving up on it. Well, can I tell you something? I don't want to get that way spiritually, do you? I want to say, God, whatever I got, whether it hurts or not, I want you to help me. If you need healing, here's the place. And then this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me in prayer late this afternoon. Give this altar call. If right now, God's laid someone on your heart that's lost. You're not playing games with them. It's not you. You just absolutely know there is zero fruit there. And you know they're lost. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I think, I know this is what the Holy Spirit said. You just walk down here and raise your hands up. And in your mind, say, God, I'm bringing them to the altar. I'm going to see them take the same walk someday that I just took because I want them to come to faith. As we sing, if that's your prayer and your desire, be obedient to the Lord. Here we go, and I'll give the benediction in a moment. down friend I will ever love and 
Come on down. We can fill this altar up. of you out there just raise your hands please in this direction this direction Father, in your name, we are here. We're praying for those who need prayer in their body. They need a miracle. And God, I know in the name of the Lord that you are the healer. By your stripes, we are healed. I release healing by the authority of the word in this altar right now for those who need that healing miracle. For those, God, in Jesus' name, that you've come especially tonight, right now, to bring healing to them. I pray for those online right now. Many are exhausted and weary. Would you touch them and bring healing to them? And would you anoint them and give them favor according to the word of God? And then I pray for those who, who came down and on their heart is someone, a child, a brother, a sister, a, a grandchild, God, who needs Jesus, a friend, a neighbor. They need Jesus, and you laid them on their heart, and they don't even know it. But tonight, on this night, on this special night in February, I pray strong conviction would begin to grip their heart once again, that you would let them run into somebody who has a gospel message for them, and they'll not hide their light under a bushel. They'll let it shine in the life of that family member. I pray in your name that great and mighty things will be done according to your riches. And Father, we claim the blessing and the favor and we say to the enemy, enemy, you are a liar and the truth is not in you for there is liberty in the name of Jesus Christ. There is healing in the name of Jesus Christ. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. There is peace that passes all understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. So we give you praise and honor and glory and we thank you, Jesus, for the power of your Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a clap offering. <laughs>